Hi, and welcome to Let's Talk UDL, the podcast that is going to help you bring universally designed learning into your academic spaces. My name is Benedict. I will be your guide as we interview experts on UDL practice. As someone who has had to navigate the education space while being blind, I know the importance of universal design for learning. But UDL is not only for those who are differently abled. UDL is an opportunity to improve the learning space for all students. The conventional approach of one-size-fits-all cannot meet learner diversity in contemporary inclusive learning spaces. As the student population in higher education continues to diversify, it is crucial to develop support and curricula that support these diverse students effectively. So, join me and my guest as we give you the tools and the resources you need to improve your education practice for all students. Welcome to the second podcast of Let's Talk UDL. My name is Benedict and for today I am pleased to have brought along my boss, at least for today, Janet Small. She has a master's degree in um, adult education, and she's very much passionate about access to learning as well as creating opportunities uh, for learning. Um, she is currently the manager of the learning design unit here at the University of Cape Town. And um, welcome, Jeanette, and thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Benedict. It's lovely to be in conversation with you about this topic we both care a lot about. Thank you. Um, looking at your bio, you s- looks like um, you have such an interest and passion for education. Why is that? Um, it's a good question. I think it's just the, the thrill of learning. I think um, when you get, you get into that thrall of learning something new and the wonder and delight of it, I think it's something which is like a life force. And I feel so strongly that every human being ought to have that. And I think in many cases our education doesn't provide that, doesn't give people the feeling of learning being being such a privilege and pleasure. It's quite often uh, people don't have rights to learning or the the form of education isn't suitable to them. They, you know, they they get uh, put into situations where it's, you know, rote learning and uninteresting learning, and sort of deny the wonders of the world, really, of what's out there to discover. So, I'm in love with learning and lifelong learning, and so that's really how I became interested in working in education. That's fantastic, and um, I believe <clears throat> this is why you also lead the RBC project which is what I am hoping that today uh, we would unpack. Uh, as you know, that the topic of our podcast is called Let's Talk UDL. And uh, we have seen UCT sort of also trying to bring in this learning framework um, at our institution. So now what I am hoping that today you and I are going to discuss is rather where does this idea of RBC and UDL fit in together and broadly, how does it link to the university's vision of 
So, yep. Thanks, Benedict. I mean, I think with so many of these kinds of ideas, and they're not new. There are a lot of the thinking about um, um, things like universal design for learning have been experienced, you know, and have been in in somewhere in conversations for many years. But I think with the RBC or Redesigning Blended Courses project that we launched, we were able to sort of take that space and say we're going to really work with uh, the idea of inclusion and universal design for learning within the particular context of blended learning. So the reason why this was this was launched, this project was um, we, we coming out. We came out of the very intense and difficult experience of emergency remote learning when the universities got closed down because of the COVID crisis, suddenly an institution like UCT and all universities around the world mm -hmm. who were based on classroom models of contact teaching, teaching were disrupted and everybody had to go online in a very uncomfortable way, you know, under emergency conditions, people were stressed, people were sick. The teacher had, teachers had little experience of, of designing online and learners had very little experience of learning online and also had a lot of barriers to learning things like access, access to internet, to devices and so on. So that's our, this context of this project was we're coming out of this very intensely difficult time. Mm -hmm. But with the difficulties, there was also a strangely um, um, kind of like a cracking open of the online and face-to-face -face divide, which has always existed. So you used to have online learning experiences and you used to have classroom-based learning experiences. And it was kind of like you either did one, you were like a UNISA student, a distance student, or you were somebody who came onto campus every day. And I think the experience of emergency remote teaching forced everyone to experience online and say, okay, there's certainly difficulties with it, but it also it's possible, it has value, and I can do it. And you need to work around some of the challenges. And, I, and I, we felt that in the time where we were coming back onto campus, this was a moment when we could open the conversation in a, a sort of more real way about how to use the blended model. The blended model means you see the value of both online mm -hmm. and face-to-face -face education. And you think carefully about how you can best make learning work using these both of these opportunities. And here's where we try to insert the ideas of universal design for learning. Because what we're saying about blended learning is Blended learning works when you think very, very carefully about what will suit your learners. Yep. Okay, You've got a particular group of people learning something. So if you think about that context, how can you set up your learning experience best using everything at your disposal, which includes, in our case, we're lucky enough to have a very well-resourced campus, as well as online spaces, which offer you different things. It offers students flexibility, the chance to re, you know, visit things and at your own pace and time, and it has all sorts of other opportunities. So, if we're saying universal design for learning provides us with one of the kind of like frameworks we can use to insert mm -hmm. into the conversation about what do we mean when we're talking about doing new forms of blended learning. Okay. So, but we have why UDL? Why do UDL? Because mm -hmm. universal design for learning is based on a couple of premises that you really care about. It's saying that there's no such thing as an average learner. So UDL arose, as we know, out of the um, movement to look at including people with disabilities. But in fact, 
The principles around UDL are about saying that there's diversity in the classroom, as you said when you started, open this podcast. And that's in our context is an absolutely essential starting point. Mm -hmm. We know that our students are not the same. Yep. People come with incredible differences, both in sort of opportunities and socioeconomic background, types of educational experiences, learning abilities, um, you know, devices and experience of using these devices. So there's such diversity in our classrooms. And if we don't take that into account as our absolute starting point, we're setting our students up for fail, for mm -hmm. failure, and we're not going to be able to teach them the way we want to. So that's one of the fundamental kind of principles of UDL True. is that it assumes diversity from the outset, and that's something we really embrace. Mm -hmm. The other thing that's key about universal design for learning, why we think it's such a useful framework, is it's saying do intentional design. Start start thinking about this, these issues right up front before you even have your first lecture. Yeah. And, um, if, and one of the other sort of key premises of UDL is that you're setting your students up to become experts in learning. So not only are you trying to teach a topic or a subject, but you're saying one of my goals in education is that my students can do learning. They are brilliant, or they're called, called expert learners. They become expert in self-directed learning, and that's going to stand them through their whole life in this important uh, kind of skill we all need, which is lifelong learning throughout our lives, whatever Excellent. career we pursue. Mm -hmm. So these are some of the principles of UDL which we want to include into our teaching space. They're okay. not like they're new ideas, but the UDL framework allows us to offer that in a form that's very well documented. There's lots of um, very good resources out there about UDL which we're able to use. Mm -hmm. And our interest here has been to say, what about our context requires us to adapt or customize or indigenize or make real for us in the South African context? context absolutely. But now, as <clears throat> I've said in my introductory statement that... Um, uh, this one size fits all does not work, and it looks like with the UDL, it's what also is trying to argue that rather create something that would be more applicable to learners' uh, abilities. Now, the question for me would be how has that sort of renegotiating ways of teaching been accepted by our colleagues, the academics? What, how has been the response been like? Well, I think certainly our project is not the only player in the space. I think generally, if you look at Vision 2030, which you referred to, the university leadership's vision is that we reimagine the way in which teaching and learning happens. Mm -hmm. And that's for the same reasons that we've been discussing, that many of our students are not succeeding, even though they're attending, you know, we would claim the best university in the continent. That's what UCT claims it is. Certainly, it's got a lot of excellent resources, fantastic teaching spaces, very well-qualified staff, but still we're having students failing. Something's not right. And so I think part of Vision 2030 is to say, what can we do to improve the experience of students and make sure that they're successful? So it's things like student support, about uh, changing the way that students feel included. We know with the, the roads must fall and fees must fall movement, there was an incredible expression of alienation by students at this university and others that did not feel part of the institution, that the sort of structures of teaching and learning and the, and the, and the sort of disciplines were excluding people. And so that's also part, we, we would argue, 
those concerns that certainly are articulated in Vision 2030, mm-hmm. also kind of you can find them in what UDL is talking about, about saying you've got to make learning relevant and uh, salient for your learners. They've got to feel that they're in the curriculum. They've got to identify with what they're learning. They've got to make sense for them. True. So those are... The, the, the tenets of UDL are actually based on neuroscience research, which is interesting, which is all about what, how you learn and how you kind of the brain manages to incorporate new knowledge and so on. But many of those principles, you can understand they make sense in our context. So things like True. saying, if you're teaching using examples that the students in your class have no experience of, it's not going to be as meaningful or as helpful as if you use something that's contextually relevant. So that's both a UDL principle but also something which is part of our decolonizing kind of impetus to make uh, education real, relevant, and locally, contextually important, you know, and sort of important examples. So that's why it feels to me that the UDL framework, while it's been developed as a a globally used, um, uh, coming out of the accessibility and inclusion space for disability, it's actually got relevance. We just need to make it make sense for us in our context and link it to the things that are really important to us yep. such such as vision 2030 and the decolonial agenda and so far would you say it's a positive response to it by your colleagues yes i think people are, because it's because it's not it because we are embedding it in our context i think people agree that this is the, these are the important things i think some of the barriers to making it work are that it's this problem that we always face is that it's time to do redesign work, whatever your reason for it is time consuming. You do have to stop, think, re-look at things, sometimes redevelop. And this is not easy because of all the pressures there are on in our context. So I think we've had a lot of positive responsive and interest from staff, but people still struggle with time to do what they want to do. And I don't know, that's a sort of structural problem that... There's a lot of demands on staff time. Absolutely. And I think so you, you can't make unrealistic expectations of people just being able to do this sort of thing Im- immediately or overnight. Mm-hmm. So one of the things we've tried to do in this project, and I think is to just to offer people frameworks. And I mean, some of the international literature is saying you, you can do incremental changes. It doesn't have to be all done at once. Obviously, you'd like to do a full redesign. But in fact, if you look at one aspect of your course and you you look for something which can improve inclusion. That's still worthwhile. So, Benny, one of the things we've been working on, you and I, is looking at simple accessibility things on, for instance, platforms, uh, in digital platforms. Yep. That's not that's not UDL in its wholeness, but it's an aspect of UDL which we can make Im- impact on. True. Mm. Um, three years in the project, I believe. It's been three years. We're uh, into our third year. Yeah, third, just, absolutely. just starting our third year out of three, yeah. What could you say are some of the highlights of the project? I think one of the most exciting things for me has been the project was sort of found, sort of, I'm going to say, grounded on the idea of employing a group of ed, we call ed tech advisors, educational technology advisors mm-hmm. who are senior students whom we recruit from within the community and train and introduce to about UDL principles and and we uh, we sort of work with them to provide support for staff because of the reasons we've just been talking about that while people might be really keen and interested in making changes they often lack the time and sometimes the technical skills in the, some of the some cases 
So the EdTech advisors are a group of students who trained up and have been working with staff to change their courses. And there's been all kinds of things that they've been helping with. But one of the big things which we were kind of like, kind of became almost by coincidence, the timing was that UCT's been moving um, from one digital platform to a new one. Yep. And that involved, it will involve every member of staff at some point working with their course to move it. And so that's an opportunity space to say, what can we do to improve the courses, sites, how they're organized on the digital platform? That's not the whole teaching experience, mm-hmm. but it's one that we could we can influence. So the EdTech advisors have been working a lot with the learning design team to support staff who are migrating their courses from uh, the current platform to the new platform. And I think we've had some success there. The other thing we've done, which has been really exciting, is that we've worked with the humanities faculties, uh, teaching assistants who are deployed to work on extended degree programs. And we um, had a very interesting series of um, workshops and engagements with them during 2021 and 2022, we talked about the principles of UDL and what it looks like when you're actually doing work with students practically. And um, that group of um, of uh, teaching assistants had incredibly interesting examples of the way in which they engage with students. And so that has been a productive space for us to work with. Okay. What would you say throughout the uh, progress of the project you might have experienced some challenges and how did you try to mitigate them? Yeah, I sort of mentioned, I guess, mm-hmm. the biggest one already, which is like how to um, introduce sort of ideas about redesign um, into a space where people are really very, very stressed with commitments and expectations. So um, th- that has been the biggest, I think, the biggest challenge of this project. And I think the way we've done it, as I've talked about already a little bit, we've tried to link it to existing initiatives that are happening. So people have to do that work. We are going to be moving to a new platform. So that will happen, whatever the UDL or the Redesigning Blended Courses does, that'll happen. So by linking with that project, we've been able to offer ourselves as a help to staff and through that hopefully um, enter the conversation about some of these elements of redesign or UDL. So that's what we've done. I think it would we would like to do more of the for a full end-to-end redesign work, and mm-hmm. that's still something we hope to be able to offer. But I think for me it's felt like uh, uh, the kind of approach that w- it's works, that's a like practical approach is where you look at what people are already doing and yep. see what you can do to add on and amplify that. Okay. So that's, the, I think, the one thing we've done. The other thing we've been trying to do is to do what we call advocacy. So this podcast series is part of that, to say what can we do to make people think about these issues more. Right? So there's been this. We've done a few presentations at the Teaching and Learning Conference last year in 2022. And what was very exciting for me was to see how much the communities are really talking about inclusion. It's People are totally aware of the need. True. It's not like you have to go and change minds about that. Mm-hmm. But the mindset that is often discussed in UDL is about thinking differently about your design approach and the fact that your students are not one size or fits all your initial point. I think for us, one of the biggest challenges is that the 
kind of structure of high education, I guess any education has got some limits to it, which make it quite difficult to do this incredibly flexible, responsive um, form of education because, we you know, you have to come out with a degree. Say in medicine, there are, there are absolute defined standards and things that must be reached. We, we obviously need our doctors to be highly competent. True. So you can't, you can't make everything flexible and, uh, you know, customized. It has this, there are standards that have to be met. It's a requirement. So how to allow, insert all the, um, the sort of processes that involve students, give them more flexibility, make things relevant as they can be, give choices about things like assessments. That's pretty difficult within the frameworks of formal education. Not yep. impossible, but not easy. And I think it doesn't help just to say, do this. We have to tell people what, how, give, give exposure to things that are possible and sort of experiment. So that's what I think is one of the big challenges for us in our project and in our work is to find little examples of things that can work that meet the requirements around, you know, exams mm -hmm. and marking and so on, but still amplify and uh, make UDL principles meaningful. So that's what the challenge we're still tackling. Oh, thank you so much, Janet. Um, is there anything that you would wish that our listeners would take away from as you and I depart? The principles of UDL are not, um, you know, highly theoretical. It's it, it's just about starting with this mindset of of well, what, who are my students? Of knowing my students really well and doing your best to um, create a learning environment that is inclusive, reflecting in some way the reality of those student experiences. So the sort of setting up of a relationship of learning with your mm. students is probably the most fundamental starting point and you know all the details of if you look at the if you start to delve into the UDL checklist for design that can be a bit overwhelming it's like we'll do this and do that but I think you just not don't need to get there and you just need to start with the mindset of saying my students have got a variety of needs do I understand them and what is it that I can do to make sure that they're, they're accommodated as far as possible. It won't be perfect for everybody, but that would be my my feeling as a takeaway. Ah, thank you so much, Annette, and thank you so much for taking your time. I know you're quite a busy <laughs> manager, but thank you for being with us today, and I certainly hope that our listeners will learn or have learned one or two things about RBC and UDL, but in the next coming episodes, we will unpack more on this theoretical framework and even trying to link it more with some practical examples that we have been engaged with and thank you so much thank you benedict thank you thank you for listening with us today this podcast is produced by the center for innovation in teaching and learning at the university of cape town for more information and to see all our podcasts find us online 